All right, ladies and gentlemen, why don't, why don't we start? I know some people will drag in here late. Late. Um, yeah, let's begin with uh, prayer. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. People say, what do you say at the end of a prayer? Amen. Amen. All right, very good. Redeemer. Okay, prayer's over. Amen. Um, I threatened to do minor prophets, and yesterday, uh, preparing for yesterday, we just dis- discovered um, a lot of the shepherd motif is in Zechariah, and Zechariah is about the right length that it would be nice for us to tackle that over the summer months because. We don't necessarily have, we might have weeks where we can't have class and da 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 da. So it's 14 chapters, so it's not too long. And we can go as fast or as slow as you want as things go. All right? Good? Do anybody know anything about Zechariah? Anything? No, he's quoted places. He's quoted places? All right, that's great. Actually, Zechariah is interesting because uh, unlike most of the prophets, he does, he quotes all, and, and, alludes to other prophets substantially, extensively. He brings, to, he brings in a little bit of Jeremiah, a little bit of Isaiah, a little bit of Ezekiel. He brings in uh, quite a bit of, uh, he and Haggai are kind of overlapped, so he's, there's some Haggai in there. Um, there's Amos. He, he brings in allusions from the Exodus, from Moses. So it, it's, it's kind of a brilliant book because it's like me. It's totally scatterbrained. It's like just keeps just throwing out stuff. So, so to Gabe's point, He's quoted in places in the New Testament, namely, behold, your, your king comes to you riding on a donkey, right? On the foal, the colt of a donkey, right? You know that one? That was Palm Sunday. So that's quoted. Uh, there's another quote that comes later. But uh, that's famous, Zechariah 9. We hear that at first Sunday in Advent and on Palm Sunday every year. So you get, you get a little bit of Zechariah that way. Um, there's 30 pieces of silver talk in it. So that's where that comes in. The potter's field, it's in there too. So that's passion stuff, right? All right, so it is quoted, but he quotes extensively from elsewhere. So that, that's kind of, uh, that could make, make take, it might take a little while if you want to tease all that out. Um, we have a, a principle um, as Lutherans of interpretation. So there's, you know, there's different ways to interpret things. And sometimes it's helpful to just kind of have some what do you want to say? You know, like methodology. I guess that's a good word for it, right? Like, like when you're going to teach, m- like multiplication. It used to be you had a, the method you would use is tables. But there's other ways to teach multiplication. I I don't know how they teach it today. Anybody know? It's horrible. The Japanese way is like. It's got there's like you draw this like grid and you do all the. Don't understand. It's kind of a table, except it's, it's a crosshatch instead. Very strange. All right, but that's just a method. It's a different way. Of, you're, still, you're accomplishing the same purpose, right? You want to understand the text, but there's different ways to go about it. One of the ways that we have, as Lutherans, formulated to in, interpret Scripture is that uh, it's just this simple phrase. Scripture interprets Scripture. You heard that before? Scripture interprets Scripture. So this, this is the principle that you would use, especially if you encounter a less obvious part of Scripture. Rather than try to interpret its, under, its meaning on its own, outside of its context, or according to meanings of words. That's what you end up with 
A lot of times, yeah. Um, I don't want to lose that. That's my only last, only last copy. Um, a better way to do that is to say, like Gabe said, does somebody actually use this text from Zechariah? Or is Zechariah referring to another part in Scripture? Or is he alluding to it? Let's go look at that. Maybe that's clearer. And then we can bring that meaning to bear upon Zechariah. Because that's probably what he intended. If he's quoting somebody else, it's like he wants you to understand that. We've done this a lot with Psalms during the Passion, during Holy Week and whatnot. And I've told you this. Like Jesus just quotes little bits of Psalms. Like he's on the cross. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But we pray the whole Psalm. We do that on Monday, Thursday night. And you, you get to hear, like, there's a lot of things in that psalm that pertain to Jesus on the cross, if not the whole thing. All right. So the same idea with Zechariah. So, okay, so you did know something about Zechariah, even though you didn't know. You knew it was quoted, though. Yeah. Um, he's post-exile, right? So he's, they've come back from Babylon. They're back from Babylon. He may have been... Um, he may have been under the Persians, because remember the Persians conquered the Babylonians? You say, yes, I remember that. No, I do not. Darius, the king of the Medes, conquered. Okay, you don't know that? We just, we read through, like, Daniel, we read into Dan. Okay, no. We did this in the congregation prayer uh, before Christmas. We read about all that, that history. Anyway, they come back from Babylon. They come back in two batches, right? And so Darius sends them back, and he sends back people to help do something very important, rebuild the temple, all right? Um, now that had happened actually quite a bit before this, but they hadn't done it. So they hadn't done it yet. Zechariah comes back. Um, he's like, why haven't you built the temple? Right. And he gives us a diagnosis as to why he tells us why, right. And it'll be interesting for you to see. Uh, let's see what else it's actually, we know when this, when he wrote it, cause he tells us right at the beginning in the eighth month of the second year, of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Iddo, the prophet, saying, and then if you look ahead a little bit, it says in verse 7, with the first vision, on the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month of Shebat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, the son of Berechiah. Pretty cool. Tells us exactly even what day he, he had his night visions. The, the first eight visions. Okay. <laughs> We actually know what day this was. This is March 15th, 519 BC. Yeah, exactly. It's cool. it, tells, it tells us exactly what day it is. Well, how do you come up with the date? Well, this is where it gets a little bit tricky. I'm not going to do all I, I don't even know how to do it. No, 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 no. So you've got, you've got the, uh, the Babylonian calendar, which is what's being used there. And then that goes into the Julian calendar because we have, a, we have some kind of you know, key that can interpret that I should draw the key horizontal. Otherwise you think it's a person, right? A key. We have a key to interpret Babylonian dates according to the Julian calendar. But you know, we don't use the Julian calendar anymore, right? Which calendar do we use now? What? Some of G, like Gregorian? No. No, it's not Gregorian. I don't know what we actually call our calendar today. Yeah. So, so anyway, um, this month of Shebat or Shabbat, it corresponds roughly to the end of January, beginning of February. They have their own calendar. Yeah, they have a 14-month calendar. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, they don't, they have, because our, our year, it's 2020, Anno Domini, year of our Lord, Jesus. Yeah, they're not going to use that calendar. No. They're <laughs> using the one they were. No. That's correct. No, he, he, well, he uses the, he doesn't use the Hebrew month. <laughs> He's using the Babylonian month. Shebit, yeah. Um, little, little known historic detail. Little known historic detail. It wasn't until after the Lutheran Reformation that we changed calendars as Lutherans. Yeah, Lutherans, we use the Julian calendar probably, it depends on place, I mean, king and whatnot. The English also didn't really switch until after Henry. I don't remember which king. There was a lot of argument about it. The problem with the Julian calendar is you, the months are all, I think the months are all 28 days. And then there's like makeup days some places, and it gets really, so it's really hard to kind of match everything up. But there's people who know how to do this, and yeah. All right. So you, and sometimes you have to, you know, somebody says, you know, this year, but then you have to ask, where are they living? Because if they're in one country, it might be a different year than if it's a, or a different month. All right. So anyway, we know. Again, February 15th, 519 B.C. February. Oh, March. Right. No, it's February. Yeah, it's February. The first vision is in March, but the book, or the book is written in, in February. 519. Right, 519. Um, they were, Darius sent the rest of the exiles back in 522, 523, somewhere in there. B.C., all B.C. Yeah, all before Jesus. Yeah. So go back. Right. Uh-huh. So that's kind of fun, isn't it? That's kind of rare. Uh, this is really important, though, for us as Christians. We've... T- we talk about this, especially in regards to Jesus' death and resurrection, that we know, we even say it in the creed, we know who crucified him, we know who was ruling when he was born, right? Caesar Augustus, right? Herod the Great, and then da 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 da, da. and then we have Herod, uh, whichever one Herod he is, I can't remember now, I used to remember, um, you know, under G- and then, of course, um, Pontius Pilate, we mentioned him, real guy, lived, you know? So we can pretty accurately, within a few years, date when Jesus was crucified. Actually, when he was crucified, we can date pretty precisely, even more precisely than that. When he was born is kind of fudgy because, um, yeah, anyway, another problem with dating. But our faith is historic. Actually, Jesus comes in time. God saves his people in time, right? Not, it's not some kind of metaphorical, mystical vision. It's not things that are happening in outer space or in a different dimension or whatever. Um, no, it happens in our, in our life, in our world, in our history, right? Even creation, from creation onward. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so this is helpful with the, the prophecy because we can actually figure out quite a bit of detail about it. All right. Uh, there's other things we can talk about, but let's, let's actually read. Uh, yeah, one through six. Let's start there. All right, you can see it on the screen. Who wants to read? Okay, I can read. In the eighth month, or here, want to do something even more fun? Yes, Pastor. Yes, let's do something more fun. Listen to this. I think this will work. Playlist. I made a Zechariah playlist. Zechariah, let's see if that works. Do you hear it? Not yet. 
All right, let's see what's going on here. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Iddo, the prophet, saying, The Lord has been very angry with your fathers. Therefore, I say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you. Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets preached, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Turn now from your evil ways and your evil deeds. But they did not hear nor heed me. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? Yet surely my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they returned and said, Just as the Lord of hosts determined to do to us according to our ways and according to our deeds, so he has dealt to us. All right. Hey, how's that? Oh, at the beginning? Um, that is... Who's the narrator? I think he's... Yeah, they're all famous people on this. I enjoy it quite a bit. Yeah. Um, all right, so, so you hear it. So the eighth month of the second year of Darius. Now, this is also interesting, right? Because who's he not... Usually, uh, this was to Leah's point, right? Why, or no, it was your point, right? About Jewish calendar. Not only would they normally use the Jewish months, what also would they refer to for historic... Touch point. Jewish kings. Jewish kings. Are there Jewish kings? No. No, the kings are done. There's no more kings, right? Now, now, um, it's not even called Judah. It's called uh, something else in Aramaic because the Medes used Aramaic. That's why some of Daniel's in Aramaic. I don't know if you know that. Not. It's not all in Hebrew. Some of it's in Aramaic. All right. And then mm, they spoke Aramaic at the time of Jesus as well because of that. Um, so yeah, not only are they using the wrong calendar, but they're also referring to Darius, um, who's not a Hebrew king, because there are no Jewish kings. They're gone. That's over. No more reign. The, year, the kings were over with the exile. All right. Um, notice, came to Zechariah. Uh, I think there are, I'm going to just do this from memory. I don't want to look it up. I think there are 29 different Zechariahs mentioned in the Bible. <laughs> 29, yeah, yeah. This is probably the most significant of them since he has a book. Um, there's arguments about the Zechariah that Jesus refers to about being slain before the altar. Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, who was slain before the altar. That's in, I think, Matthew 24. It's during Holy Week, all right? Uh, actually, if, probably if I just click on this, it's going to tell me. Go look at Matthew 23, verse 35. All right, there we go. <laughs> um, there's a question, because that's Zechariah, son of Berechiah, except that Zechariah is killed before the altar, which doesn't happen to this Zechariah, except in rabbinic legends. Because the rabbis have legends, too, about how, the, how these people died. You know, just like we do. You know, Peter was crucified upside down, that kind of stuff. All right. Um, but here's, you, you, there's an easy explanation for this, for the Zechariah, right? Because there's Zechariah, and then what do you name your son? Zechariah. Zechariah. 
There is another Zechariah where this became an issue. The Zechariah, father of John. Right, Zechariah, father of, of John the Baptist, remember? And they're like confused, like, shouldn't his name, he's the firstborn son, shouldn't his name be Zechariah, like the father, like the son, right? And he says, no, his name is John, this Greek name, which is bizarro, right? Yeah. Or French, if you prefer, Jean. I always do that. The kid drives the kids crazy. I don't know if it drives them crazy. Or maybe they like it. I call him Jean de Baptiste. You know, like he's from New Orleans or something. Cajun or French. Right? It, get, it you know, flushes out the character a little bit. Let's have some beignet, you know? Uh, and some of that terrible coffee made from that root. What is that? Chicory. Chicory? Ugh. <laughs> you don't have to drink the chicory. Yeah, it's true. That's actually, that's actually legit. No, it's not a poisonous. It's a root. You steep it like coffee. You can grind it and steep it like coffee. Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, the Civil War soldiers liked it, I guess. Yeah. No, because you couldn't get coffee. Their supply chains were all broken. Ha ha. Funny that. And you end up with Civil War. Hmm. Okay, uh, let's see. But this one is son of Berechiah, the son of Idu. Oh, Ido. All right. So that's another note. Ido is noted in Nehemiah 2. He's listed as one of the priests, I think. Yeah, we'd have to go there. I guess we can go there. Why not? Here's the list. Now in the days of Jehoiakim, the priests, the heads of the father's houses were. So here's all the houses of the priests. Ido is one of those houses. Zechariah being his son. All right. So what does that make Zechariah? Kind of interesting, doesn't it? Because he's not only a prophet, but he is also a... Head of the house, right? No. He's a priest. Yeah, he's a priest. Mm-hmm. So his prophecy has a lot of priestly elements to it, like references to things that would happen in the temple. Why isn't the temple built? Right, because I'm a priest and I have nowhere to serve. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's right. So we know about that. Um, and so the word of the Lord came. This is a formula. Uh, it happens more here than probably any other prophetic book. The word of the Lord coming over and over and over. But you see, you see this. Uh, the word of the Lord came to, especially post-exile prophets. This happened. That's the expression. Because before the exile, like, like Daniel, for example, Ezekiel is this way. You know, those who are in Babylon... They, get, they, they have these visions, right? They have dreams. So there's a difference between what happens afterwards here. This is like, uh, this is, it's visionary, but it's not a dream. It's different. It's a different character. So there seems to be like these, God speaks, to pe- speaks in many and various ways, as to quote Hebrews 1, actually. In many and various ways, God spoke to his people of old by the prophets, but now in these last days, he has spoken to us by his, by his son. Right. Evening prayer. Evening prayer. Yeah, but it's quoted from Hebrews 1. Right? So in many and various ways, God spoke. So sometimes, like um, with Moses, he, God spoke with him directly, immediately. Well, in the burning bush, through the pillar of cloud and fire, but the person of Jesus speaks with Abraham. I mean, you have... You have that, that uh, angel of the Lord speaking. Uh, then you have the dreams, right? And dreams are a little bit different than visions. So God comes in many and various ways, as, as the Hebrews points out. 
So his is like the word came to him. Uh, if, wait, mm, the word, what does John 1 say? And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So if the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, who came to Zechariah? Jesus. Jesus, very good. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't have his name yet, but, but that's who it is. All right. And came to Ido, the prophet, saying, The Lord has been very angry with your fathers. Yeah. Uh, I don't like that translation. It should. It's, it's so soft. I, you know, why do they do that in English? I, I lament this all the time. It's like, literally it says, Yahweh has uh, been wrathful. Uh, no, he's wrathed wrath on your fathers. Wrath, <laughs> wrath. Well, right. We don't, it's hard in English, right? When the verb and the, the noun is the same, right? So the verb is to wrath. Wrathed, past tense. Wrath is, the, is a noun, right? Um, it's the same thing with king. This happens with king in Greek. Yeah, it says the king will reign, but it's actually the king will king. <laughs> it's the same word. It's just one's noun, one's verb. Yeah. But it's wrath. It's very angry. I don't know. We should say it, we should say it like we're English, right? Wrath. He wrathed, wrath with your fathers, right? Again, it's really, it's not with your fathers either. It's against your fathers. So it's very direct. One of the reasons I wanted to do uh, Old Testament prophet is it's, forcing me to actually look at Hebrew again. <laughs> if we're only in the New Testament, I only look at Greek. If you look at the Old Testament, it's like, oh, I'm going to figure out Hebrew. It's like, what is that letter? I don't even remember what that letter is. So, yeah. Uh, there's a, well, we're going to get to it. Very angry with your fathers. Therefore, say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts. Again, that's a prophetic voice. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Um, I know pastors that actually do this in this sermon. Maybe I should. Let's just say, Jesus spoke to me. <laughs> no. Uh, Jesus says, and they just say it. Because when the pastor speaks in the stead and by the command of Jesus Christ, who's speaking? Yeah. So the Lord, uh, the Lord says to you, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking of the Irishman in Braveheart, but I can't quote that because it's crude. He swears, he swears a lot. Yes. Yeah, he's kind of a priest, kind of, but he curses a lot. I think Mel Gibson had a good sense of humor on that one. Or whoever wrote it. Actually, I know who wrote it. I listened to an interview with the guy who wrote it. Fascinating guy. Yeah, he didn't. That was his breakout thing. He, like, he just wrote it for himself. And then it got made into a movie and took off. And now he's, he's written quite a bit of stuff since then. Very interesting guy. He's a Christian too, by the way. If that's not apparent, I think it is. Those themes of, re- yeah, the themes of redemption and, you know, the noble sacrifice, you know, for freedom. Hmm. Anyway, not Braveheart, we're reading this. Therefore, say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, return to me. Yeah. Um, oh, thus says the Lord of hosts. That's not helpful either. You know what that expression is. Does anybody have a different translation of that? Lord of hosts. We could, we could just quote it. If we want to quote it from the Hebrew and just be literal, you just say it like we say it in the Sanctus. Holy, holy, holy Lord God of Sabaoth. That's correct. Now you know what that is. It's, it's the whole heavenly armies. It's the, it's the uh, unseen realm. It's the, 
Hi, Dorothy. Thanks for waiting. Yeah, it's the, uh, what do we call these things? Um, the, the divine council. You might call it the divine, that's one of the names for all of the various ranks of angels. And actually, Zechariah, we're going to get this, he, he distinguishes different kinds of angels. He talks about the kind of the ranking of things in a prophetic way, which is pretty cool. Because we don't get to talk about that stuff very much. That ended end up being a very big excursus to talk about all the things that the Bible tells us about that we can't see but that are real. <laughs> yeah, we'd be here for a while. Maybe that'd be a fun class to do someday. All right, I will, I will return. So it's, okay, return to me. Oh, wait a minute. Thus says the Lord, Lord excuse me, Yahweh Sabaoth, right? Yahweh of the armies. Return to me, says Yahweh Sabaoth, right? And I will return to you, says Yahweh Sabaoth. All right, so if you repeated it three times there, what's that telling you? Trinity. Well, okay, there's Trinity, but that, this is something that you're supposed to... Uh, holy, holy. Well, you got that, right, Trinity, holy, holy, holy. But no, it's like, what's the emphasis? It's not just the Lord, it's the Lord of the, ar- of, of the host, of the angel host of the army. Right, right, right. Because um, you might argue, and I think you will see this play out, is that one of Zechariah's points is that the people think too little of God. Right? They think too much of themselves and too little of God. Your God is too small. Right? And, and Zechariah's like, mm, that's not the God we believe in. The one who commands the angel armies. Right? The one who went before us and conquered uh, Canaan. The one who delivered you from Egypt. That God. Right? Who destroyed Pharaoh and his army. Who conquered the nations. Right? Yeah. Um, so that's the emphasis, right? I will... So return to me and... Skip the Lord of hosts. And I will return to you. Right? What do we call it? Uh, returning to God. What's another way of saying that? Yeah, this is, it just means repent. To turn back to God. Because um, sin, what does it do? Turns you away from God to yourself or to others, right? So that you put your fear, love, and trust in anyone or anything other than the one you're supposed to be looking at. This is why it's beautiful in the divine service that you're reconciled to God through the forgiveness of sins, through absolution, preaching, Lord's Supper, and then he says, the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you and lift up his countenance. Cheeks up, right? Eyebrows, cheeks. He's smiling. Lift up his countenance. You know, like, like uh, Dorothy does when she smiles and it goes from ear to ear, right? Yeah. Uh, and give you peace, right? That's the end of that. All right? So says the Lord of hosts, do not be like your fathers, hmm, to whom the former prophets preached, saying... Thus says, so this is what the former prophet said, or preached. Thus says the Lord of hosts, or Lord of Sabaoth, Yahweh Sabaoth, now turn now from your evil ways and your evil works or deeds, right? But they did not listen and they did not pay attention to me. An utterance of Yahweh, all right? So don't be like your fathers, because why? What did they fail to do? To listen. They forgot to listen. They just didn't listen. The pro- right? So you can see this like in a parable of Jesus, right? Where the master of the vineyard keeps sending servants to them, right? And they, and they keep killing them. And then he finally he's like, okay, fine, I'll send you my son. 
and then they kill him too. <laughs> yeah, right? So you keep sending the prophets to them to call them to repentance. Why? Because God angry with them? Well, he's, he's angry with their sin, right? But he's merciful and gracious, long-suffering, right? So he keeps calling them to repentance. But finally, right, there is an end to it. Um, we're not like, um, well, there is a judgment, right? We say that in the creed. But in Zechariah, it seems like he has in mind, because Jesus quotes him this way, uh, he has in mind the final, the, the destruction of the temple, and this is what's going to happen if you don't repent. Even if you do rebuild the temple, it will be destroyed and utterly to the point where it will never be rebuilt again, which is still true to this day, right? I mean, there is kind of a thing on the mount, but <laughs> there's, no, there's no pillar of cloud and fire there. Wouldn't that be pretty awesome? Maybe that's what the Zionists are so excited about. It's like, if we restore the temple, then we'll have the pillar of cloud and fire or something. The glory cloud will, the Kadosh Yahweh will defend on. Okay, anyway. Um, but they did not heed me or listen to me, right? So, to the point, your fathers, where are they? Answer? Dead. Dead. Yep, dead. Uh, and the prophets, do they live forever? Nope. But their word does, right? Surely the word that they spoke on behalf of God. Yet surely my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your, your fathers? Right? So they returned. They, that's just not a great translation. They repented <laughs> and said, just as the, uh, the Lord of hosts, the Yahweh of the armies, right? Yahweh Sabaoth, determined to do to us according to our ways and according to our deeds, so he has dealt with us. Right? So which fathers are those that said God did to us exactly what he told us he would do? Remember, where are we? We're back in Judah, but we had just been in Babylon, right? So he spent those 70 years repenting them, right? To, the, to when they called out to him, right? He humbled the proud and the imagination of their hearts, and now he's exalting them by returning them home. And yet, they're being returned home, but what's not actually true? They haven't yet repented. Their fathers did, but now the next generation doesn't. This happens over and over and over. It's so fatiguing when you read the histories of Israel. I know. And we're really reading our history too. It's like, you know, there's these, it's this ebb and flow where there's a recovery of faithfulness. And then there's, the, it only takes one generation and they descend into outright apostasy again. And then they return to faithfulness after a few generations. And then it only lasts a generation and then it's gone again. Uh, it's really helpful for pastors to realize the futility of what they're doing. <laughs> it's like if there's, if there's a dozen or more people in Bible class, thanks be to God, like don't count on this lasting forever. And if God willing, it will and it'll grow or you know, maybe it won't. Um, that's a really important part of when we talk about repentance. Um, because repent here is an active verb, meaning... Keep no, active. Oh. As in, who's, who's being told to repent? Return to me. You repent. Right? But, how are you going to repent? What do you have to repent of? Do you even know? Yeah, how are you going to learn what there is to repent from? By hearing, by hearing. yeah. Right? So faith comes by hearing, right? So there's, this is, uh, we've talked about the, we talked about this in Lent a little bit. Like no one confesses their sins unless they know there is 
absolution. Oh, people generally know their sin. They're pretty good about lying about it, right? It's my, that famous billboard that I quote all the time that's so stupid in Indiana. We're all a little broken, but we're working on it. So that's the, a little messed up, a little messed up. So that's the language of sin in pop psychology. Brokenness, um, being messed up, being confused, right? And those things could actually describe sin in a way, but it doesn't quite get to the severity of it, right? You've rebelled against your God, right? And he's exceedingly wrathful <laughs> towards you, right? Yeah. Welcome back, children. All right. So they repented. Why? Because they heard the word of the prophet. So that's kind of in the background here, but it's, it's worth reiterating because you can hear that active verb and think, oh, I repent and then God has mercy on me. Yes, but how are you going to repent unless God first shows you your sin, calls you to repentance, and then promises to deliver you from, from your sin? What, what would be the point? Right? It'd be kind of like telling, a, um, I mean, this happens in human relationships, parents and children, spouses, friends, right? And you say, you know, you're not going to tell somebody you're sorry unless you know they're going to they're set aside your guilt. Otherwise, what's the point? I mean, maybe just in like a Hail Mary kind of, <laughs> that's funny. You know, you're throwing, you're throwing the path, you're just hoping, you're hoping that maybe they'll say, at this point, it would be a good time to actually to play a, a video clip. <laughs> I hadn't planned on it. Um, but I don't know if you've seen this before, but it's good for repentance. And I don't want to get into the first vision today, especially children are just back. Um, we'll talk about the visions next time. Um, but uh, I never watched ER. Did any of you watch ER? Yeah, pretty good. You did? Okay. Yes. So you'll probably uh, recognize this video. Back in the day. So it's kind of a remarkable... Um, scene of, hopefully it comes up here, my videos, yeah. So hopefully, uh, to this point of there's no, there's going to be no absolution declared. You're not going to repent. You're not going to say you're sorry. I mean, maybe out of desperation, but unless you know there's forgiveness, all right? So yeah, let's just watch it. It says there's a copyright claim on it, but that's okay. Because what, what's the point? He needs to be told that he's a sinner. Yeah, he's not being told that. No. And he, and he, so there's no forgiveness either. He needs yeah. He, he has the guilt, but he doesn't understand that, God, you know, is God angry with me? Then that whole bit about a sign, right? Which is kind of profound because people look at signs and they think God gave him a sign. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. He was doing his job. He was actually, we would say he was fulfilling his vocation. That was his job. Right? The guilt isn't, but the guilt that he bears, even if it's a lie, even if he's believing something that he couldn't possibly have known, he still needs to be forgiven. You have to be forgiven for your false guilt and your false shame as much as your real guilt and your real shame, which is pretty profound. Thanks, Esther. Yeah. So, um, so this is what's happening here. Yahweh is going to say, move. You're in my way. Move. Move. Over. Thank you. Now, this is really what's going on. And he's going to say it through his, through his priest, through his priest prophet, really, prophet priest. Right? Repent. Why? As your fathers did for their evil, lest that same destruction come upon you. Right? But as we'll read through the book, I think what's profound about it is the same thing that we see in the clip there is that um, 
There is going to be no repentance unless they have that promise of mercy, namely the promise of Jesus, which is quite explicit, and that he will take their guilt and shame upon him, right, and suffer in their place. And then if it's the word of the Lord coming to him, it's actually Jesus telling the prophet what Jesus will be doing in 500 years or so, which is pretty cool, I think, I think. So uh, maybe, we didn't even look at the handout. You have a handout. (laughs) Uh, We'll talk about that next week. So if you want to take it with you, you can. Otherwise, you can just put it back on the pile. And maybe we'll look at the handouts. Maybe we won't. I don't know. They're helpful sometimes. Um, I just print them off. Sometimes it's helpful. If we don't know what to talk about, we can look at that. But we'll try to look at the first vision at least next week. All right. Um, Which is pretty cool. It's the chestnut horse. Who doesn't like the chestnut horse? Chestnut brown? Sounds like a purse, probably. Yeah, that color. Pretty horse. <laughs> and a white horse. Hmm, that sounds familiar. But, okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. It is, uh, but maybe not quite in the way of, like, say, Ezekiel or Daniel. Um, but he pulls through all those same sort of images, and they are visions. Um, but they're, I think they're much less vague, if that makes sense, as to their historic fulfillment. I think we can draw pretty, you know, the historicity here at the beginning, we can draw a pretty clear histor- historical fulfillment. Um, like I said, I don't think there's much that persists past the destruction of the temple in AD 70. Then that's how Jesus uses Zechariah's prophecy as being of the destruction of the temple by uh, who was that, Nero? It was Nero and then whoever came after Nero, right? All right. And that's all because the reason the temple's destroyed and God's presence leaves them in the, in, the, in the temple is because they refuse to repent, right? And they turn, so what they end up with is like an empty shell, basically. They've got a temple, and you see this with Jesus, right? The Pharisees and scribes and Sadducees, they're doing all the things and they're believing none of it. Or you could go to Luther if you want. You're performing that, the ritual actions of the Mass, and you don't even know what you're saying. It's just like magic words. They don't even, you don't believe, there's no faith. Right? So, so yeah, so maybe apocalyptic in terms of imagery, but probably less apocalyptic in terms of fulfillment, as in we're still waiting for it to be fulfilled. But we may, we'll argue about that, probably. Yeah, so if you want to read it, like I say, 14 chapters, the audiobook version, um, it's 45 minutes. Read nice and slow like that. So you got 45 minutes this week, just read it through and you'll get the whole th- kind of vision. I was going to play the whole thing for you, but then I thought you'd get bored. And it's more fun to just talk to you. All right, let's close with prayer. Okay, we're going to pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, you've sent your prophets, priests, kings, messengers amongst us to to give us your word, to deliver Jesus to us so that we would repent uh, for the forgiveness of sins. We ask you to um, do that, continue that work amongst us today and always in Jesus' name. Amen. We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church Sermon Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org, that's stjohnrandomlake.org, slash support, and give today.